I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. My wife said that she found a really good recipe for chili. She told me that it only calls for 239 beans. I asked her why such a precise number of beans. And she said because if it had just one more, it would be too farty. Today I am excited to introduce our ever-expanding line of ready-to-eat chilies and stews. As someone who is passionate about the power of whole food, plant-based nutrition, I understand how important it is to have convenient and nutritious meal options that align with our values. That's why I've worked super hard with my team to develop a line of hearty and delicious chilies and stews that are made from whole, plant-based ingredients and are ready to eat in just minutes. Our chilies and stews are packed with wholesome ingredients like beans, but not 239, vegetables and grains, and are free from added oils, refined sugars, excessive sodium, and processed ingredients. They're absolutely perfect for those super busy days when you need a quick and satisfying meal, or for those times when you're craving something warm and comforting. Whether you're a student looking for a quick and easy lunch or a busy parent in need of a healthy and convenient dinner option or anything in between, our ready-to-eat chilies and stews are the perfect solution. So join us on the Plant Strong journey and experience the strong benefits of a whole food plant-based lifestyle. Order a sample pack of our five ready-to-eat chilies and stews today and let me know how much you love them. Learn more at plantstrongfoods.com. There's, there's a beginning section in my cookbook that says everyone's welcome to the table. I, there's no discrimination, no judgment. I've been there before where I've had people say, hey man, why aren't you eating plants? Why can't you be vegan? Those sort of things. I've been there and I've said those things too. And it doesn't make me feel good. And I think 
If you're somebody who's eating plants and striving on that plant-based diet and loving it and living life like you are and like myself, I think we need to be examples by just showing that and up in every single day of our lives. We don't need to force feed it down people's throats. We just need to live our most authentic selves and people will see that and they'll come around to it eventually. I'm Rip Esselstyn and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Every so often, a new plant-based Brock star bursts onto the scene and just blows my socks off with their passion, their personality, their creativity, and that je ne sais quoi, that it's just hard to put your finger on. The last guest that I had about a year and a half ago that really had it in spades was Carly Bodrug of Plant You. And my guest today, Max Lamana, is most definitely one of those people. And you will see why. His it factor or wow factor has amassed a social media following of over 1 million, and that's just on Instagram. And these are just people that are following along because they want to learn more about the power of plants from this young superstar chef. And the cool thing here, his followers actually provide the inspiration for his new book. For over a year, Max asked his social media audience, which foods do you throw away the most? And then using the thousands of responses, he then narrowed it down to a list of 30 of the most commonly wasted ingredients, which are what serve as the inspiration for his new cookbook called You Can Cook This with a big exclamation mark on the end. We're talking about bell peppers, potatoes, onions, beets, grains, carrots, leafy greens, bananas, all of the things that we love, 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 love here at Plan Strong. So let's take a deep dive with Max and figure out which of these foods we can stop wasting and start using in creative and delicious dishes. Today, Max and I, we're going to dig into these fun recipes and we're going to talk about how to prepare and store your food to maximize its freshness and also extend its shelf life. For example, no more throwing away those perfectly good potato peels, my friends. Max really, really inspired me as I knew he would, and I know he's going to inspire and transform the way you cook, eat, and save your food. Let's welcome Max Lamana. All right, Max Lamana, welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Rip. Yeah, you know, uh, we have never met before, so this is the first time. And I am—I uh, want you to know, Max, that I am fascinated 
with what you are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you are, you're such an advocate for so many wonderful things, whether it's zero waste, whether it's, you know, cutting down on plastic, you know, stopping the plastic, whether it's challenging all these traditional norms of what it means to be, you know, masculine uh, in this, in this culture that we live in. And I just want you to know that I'm fascinated with your, with your advocacy and with your courage and your vulnerability and all that stuff. So I want to talk to you today. I want to unpack some of this stuff. You've got a new book that is dropping, I think any day, uh, here it is right here for everybody. You can cook this Max Lamana. And, uh, and I know having written several books myself that this was one heck of a labor of love. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of love went into that book. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears, as I say. Um, I've cut my finger a few times, sweat from just heat waves, and tears from the onions that I was cutting. <laughs> exactly. Now, you are in the UK, is that correct? I am. I am in the UK. Uh, I moved here, I think, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so now I live here. This is home for me. Yeah. And what used to be home for you? Did you grow up in the States? I did. I did grow up in the States. I grew up in Connecticut, Waterbury, Connecticut, small, small, ta- smallish town. Uh, and then when I was 20, I moved to New York City, and, and then I lived between New York City and Los Angeles um, for the next 10 years. And then, yeah, so now the last three or four years I've been in the UK. Yeah. And tell me, your father had a bunch of, or had some restaurants, right? And so is that how you developed your, your love for, for food and cooking? Yeah, my father had a few restaurants. He managed uh, and and started. He franchised a few restaurants, and so he, having grown up in the food industry, uh, I don't, I, you know, I always thought I grew up in a really foodie household. My parents cooked the same dishes on repeat. Yeah, I think when you have, you know, you have children, parents are just trying to juggles they're juggling so many things i'm child free so i i it's uh i i don't understand that the juggling of putting food on a table and having children and making sure that they're ready for their sport practice or they have homework and all these things but yeah i thought i grew up in a really foodie household and no we just had the same thing over and over and over again um but i think my passion for food i think maybe somewhere deep in my subconscious there's oh food is food is lovely food could be great and i i thought the food that my parents cooked was delicious um until i came back home you know in my 20s after spending time working in restaurants and trying my parents food um sorry mom and dad it's 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 not that good it's they're not they're not really good um and so now now they're getting better because they're cooking some of my recipes so uh uh-huh. what what kind, what kind of restaurants did your father have my dad uh, was in the fast food quick service industry. So my dad had a couple Subway uh, franchises. Um, so I grew up in I grew up in Subway. Um, I, I I liked it because it was you always you know I was there as a kid in the back scenes. My my dad would you know he keep me you know keeping me out of trouble. He's like go in the back and count the boxes of you know potato 
chips or um, can you tell me how many boxes of cookie dough I have left? And um, so I'd, you know, stay out of trouble, but I was always around food and I, it was always fun because you see new people uh, every, every day. Does he still have some of these subways? No, no, he doesn't. He, he was in the industry for about 13 years. Um, so when I was about 14 or 15, he ended up uh, selling them. Mm-hmm. So you have got a pretty incredible social media following, right? Like close to a million on Instagram, you know, TikTok is, is, is blowing up. Um, so you're quite the, the sensation like that. And I'd love to touch upon like how this all started. Um, did you just decide in what, like 2017 that you were going to start an Instagram channel and um, share your philosophy on zero waste? Is that how it all began? Yeah, I I was off social media for for a bit, and when I came back to it, uh, or just before I, I came back onto social media, I was hosting separate clubs out of my apartment in Brooklyn, and I was utilizing the ingredients, like the whole ingredient. So I was hosting these separate clubs and showing my friends, okay, this dish has the tops of the carrots, the carrot um, the carrot top, and it's made into a pesto. And people are just like, wait a second, you can do this? This is back in 2016. And one friend, my good friend, Leo, said to me, dude, you need to put this on social media. And I always thought back then, 2015, 2016, all I saw on social media at the time was people traveling the world, talking about products. And it was just very kind of like product heavy, everyone showing off products, products, products. And I just thought, if I'm going to use social media, I'm gonna, I'm going to use it. I'm not gonna let it use me. And I need to mm. provide something that is going to inspire, that's gonna educate, that's gonna transform the way people cook and see food. And so I just kept that at like the forefront of my mind and just went forward from there and started just kind of capturing moments of my my day i was heading to the stores i was using my reusable bags and and jars going to the refill stores trying to find products you know without any plastic it's a lot you know my my focus from living a zero waste lifestyle back in 2016 2017 has shifted uh quite drastically i no longer live that sort of lifestyle because it's a bit it's impossible to be completely zero waste. So now I focus rip a little, just the focus of, of what I do is more just food and trying to limit the food waste that we, we put into our bin. So, you know, I, I still stay, I still stay true to those, um, those messaging. What I, what I, what I tried to achieve back in 2016, trying to inspire, educate and transform way people see and cook food. Yeah. Well, so in, in reviewing and looking at a lot of your Instagram posts, I mean, I, I learned so much. For example, I had no idea how much food goes into landfills and how that food that's in landfills then basically takes a long time to decompose. I think you, the example you used was a, maybe a head of romaine lettuce takes 25 years. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's decomposed. I mean, as opposed to what happens if you throw it in compost, how long does it take? Yeah. It could take weeks. It could take right. three to three weeks to a month or two to decompose in natural kind of settings. And the reason for that is because that 
natural ingredient, that raw ingredient is exposed to natural and uh, a natural environment. It's exposed to soil, which is exposed to bugs and critters that can chomp away and eat um, the, the you know eat that ingredient. It's exposed to wind, sun, rain, and all this kind of this beautiful kind of like cocktail yeah. is mixed up and the food can break down naturally and as it's doing that it's um providing nutrients to the soil and it's making the soil healthy so we can use that not you know that rich dense nutrient and soil to you know spread across our our soils on our farms which you know i always say you know healthy soil equals healthy plants healthy plants healthy people mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when it goes into the landfill, it turns into methane, which is what, 25 times more potent than CO2? Yeah. 25 to 30 times more potent than CO2. And that's, that head of lettuce, for example, or any kind of food is embalmed for decades at a time. And it's slowly releasing uh, that methane into the atmosphere, which is causing, you know, climate change and heating up our planet very slowly, but gradually. And the example I like to use here is that if you place, um, I know this is a, a you know a vegan plant based uh, podcast, but if you were to place a frog in a pot of water, just yeah. room temperature water, and you turn on the stove and it slowly heats up, that frog is not going to jump out of the the, the hot water. It's going to acclimate to that water. But if you place that frog in boiling hot water right away, it's going to jump out. So. Yeah. That's what's happening to our planet. We're slowly heating up the planet little by little. Yeah, we sure are. And you also, on one of your Instagram posts, talk about how we waste almost 1.3 billion tons of food every year. Mm. And that if wasted food was a country, it would be the third largest producer of CO2 next to the United States and China. Correct. All this to me pointing to this, right? And how important, you know, your evolution has been and getting you right to here. And and tell me, like with this book here, how how much help did you get from your your audience? Like helping you figure out like what to write about. Yeah. The the idea came to me at the end of 2020, you know we all went through similar experiences and I was just sitting around thinking of new ideas, new ways to help people reduce food waste at home. And I thought, Oh, here's an idea. I'm going to ask my audience, which foods are throwing away the most. And I collected tens of thousands of responses and most, you know, the top 20, top 30 uh, ingredients that, we're just coming up over and over again. So some of those ingredients are bread, potatoes, bagged leafy greens like spinach and, 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 and lettuce and um, arugula. Here in the UK, we say rocket, yeah. um, which I like. I like saying rocket. It sounds cooler. Um, <laughs> bananas, uh, fresh fruit, milk, yogurt, those sort of things. And after collecting all this information, I thought, okay, I don't see a cookbook out there that is helping people Use the food they already have. If you are going to spend money on food, use that food. Because if you're not using that food, you're wasting it. And then you're wasting money. You're wasting your time, your energy, the transportation, the packaging, the labor. 
the, the labor on the farm, the person who placed the seeds in the, in the soil, who, you know, took time and love and put care into growing those ingredients is wasted. Yeah. So I thought, okay, each ingredient, these Harrow ingredients, I call them Harrow ingredients, trying to lift them up a little bit we get a, so we can get excited about them. I'm going to show how we can use each and every single ingredient to the max, no pun intended there, and how we can use it all the way, utilize it so nothing goes to waste, and to inspire people, you can use that food. You can cook this. So that's where the title also came from too. Yeah. I, I want to come back to some specifics on that. But before, tell me about your journey. Like what was it that – uh, inspired you to go, I don't know what you, what you, how you refer to it, plant-based, vegan. What was the, uh, the catalyst for you? Great question. Uh, I always say I went vegan twice. And I think it's really important to kind of highlight the failures. I think we're so often on social media only see the successes of people, of individuals. And for me, um, my failures have led me to having big successes and big wins. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of my journey. So I went vegan back in 2012 for the first time. Uh, I was in the kitchen at a party and I ended up cooking some food. I was hungry and I didn't like the food that was being served. So I started pulling some ingredients together and a friend said to me, Hey, are you making anything vegan? And I it was the first time I ever heard the word vegan. And I thought, you mean vegetarian? And I knew what that was. And they said, no vegan. And I was like, wait a second, what is this? And in that moment, I was like, I'm on board with this. I like the idea. They talked about the planet. They talked about their health. They talked about animals. And I just thought, oh, I can get behind this. Yeah. I, I want to take care of my, my, my health. And I come from a history, like my connection to plant-based and, and, and veganism is the health reasons. My, my family, my, my dad's side of the family have a long line of like heart conditions and heart problems and high cholesterol and all these things. So I've always been conscious of, okay, I don't want to be another statistic. I'm going to try to take care of myself and I'm going to do that through food. So I did that for a little bit. I was vegan for about six months and living in New York City, um, it was very hard to figure out, okay, what am I going to eat today? I was eating the same thing on repeat, on rotation, and this is 2012. So it was, there wasn't, I didn't find that many restaurants. And Can you remember like what were, what were the, some of the things that you were eating on repeat? <laughs> I was eating a lot of pasta dishes. I was eating a lot of stews. I was just like stewing and just like slow cooking a lot of vegetables uh quinoa bowls like rice bowls grain bowls um those sort of things i don't think i was getting it i was trying to get into tofu at the time and i just thought i don't even know how to cook this um it was so difficult like there wasn't i, I didn't it sounds silly to me now but i couldn't figure out how to get inspiration mm. from mm. from plant-based or vegan cooking um so i fell off the wagon and I went back to eating how I was normally. And, but I always had the, this idea in my mind, okay, I'm, but I'm going to watch out what I eat and where it comes from and try to put more plants on my plate. And then six years ago, I went back to eating plant-based and, um, and figured out, oh, I can make tofu taste really 
really good. And I can, oh, I can make uh, seitan and I can cook, there's this thing called tempeh and oh my God, I can make cauliflower taste like buffalo, buffalo wings, you know? Um, I could do some really cool things with plants now. And so I started experimenting and trying new things with plants. And what, what was the impetus six years ago to come back to plants? Uh, great question. I'm, I'm taking you on a journey to Australia, uh, where I ended up moving to, and I was working in a chocolate factory with, uh, are you serious? My, yeah, I was working in a chocolate factory in Australia. Um, I'm a rip. If there's one thing you need to know about me, I'm, I say yes to basically anything. Um, wow. if the idea sounds good, I, I just say, yeah, sure. Let's, let's, let's go. <laughs> um, I'm now married but before then, I wasn't. And uh, I met this girl in Los Angeles, and uh, she was Australian. And she said, I'm, I'm going back to Australia. It was really nice meeting you. And, you know, we've, you know, love at first sight kind of thing. And I, uh, I said to her, okay, I'll, I'll come back to Australia with you. So I went to Australia where she had a chocolate business, and we made chocolate. And it was vegan, gluten free, paleo, uh, like every, every kind of thing you can think of that can make this the best possible chocolate ever and organic, all that gluten-free. And I was swimming in the ocean one day in, in Sydney, uh, on Bondi beach and I'm swimming and I've come across some plastic and I'm just thinking I'm in the most beautiful place in the world. Like the most beautiful place I've ever been. And just thinking, why is there plastic in the ocean? This, this is the most beautiful beach I've ever been to. I can't believe there's, plastic waste floating in this ocean i went back carried that i didn't leave the plastic bottle in the ocean i took it with me went out and went into the the recycling bin and dumped it off so you're doing later that some plogging <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly i did some plogging i gotta figure out the the word for plogging plus swimming. swimming so yeah. yeah we'll figure that out afterwards i went to the farmer's market later that day and noticed that people we're bringing their food scraps to the farmer's market and dumping them off in a bin and they were composting. And I was like, wait a second, what's composting? So like I'm in this small kind of community where there's waste happening, but then there's also the, 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 the correct proper way of reducing and finding a way to get rid of waste in the most kind of, you know, ethical manner by composting. And my head just kind of started going around in circles thinking about where food is going and, and what happens to the food that we bring into our homes and what happens when we waste it, where it, where it goes. And then I started seeing like vegan restaurants pop up again and I'm thinking, all right, let me try this. So it just started kind of like hitting me from all different corners for like, okay, this time why I entered veganism. Now I had like the health uh, aspect to it kind of already kind of hooked and latched onto me the environmental mm. side of things started coming into play. So I just started thinking, okay, this makes sense. Um, let me, let me look at this once more. Yeah. And Australia is actually a, a pretty, they got a pretty strong, you know, kind of vegan culture, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. There was tons of restaurants and cafes that had just offered vegan food. So it was, you know, you go into it doesn't need to be a vegan restaurant or cafe. They had vegan options. And that was, I think the first time really where I saw this intersection of, you know, non-vegan and vegan eaters coming together where 
before I was in Los Angeles and I didn't really feel there was that, that combination of the two. It was only like, this is a vegan restaurant and this is a non-vegan restaurant. There was never like one. Yeah. Uh, so what I'd love to do now, I, I want to ask you some questions about storage and avoiding waste. Hmm. And then I'd love to dive into this book and actually ask you about a couple recipes. Great. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> Excellent. So I think that in my family, especially after reading your book, we do a really awful job at storing our food and avoiding waste. And I think that everybody that's out there listening, there you have so many incredible tips, hacks, suggestions for how to avoid waste. So let me just start with you talk about how actually you don't want to fill up your fridge too full and that less food in the fridge is actually better. Can you tell me about that at all? Absolutely. The fridge itself is a cold, dry, dark environment. It's literally kind of sucking the life out of your food. If there's moisture in there, the fridge is going to pull that out. And if you have vegetables like we do uh, in, the, in the fridge, it's going to pull the water from those vegetables out. And so that's why we're seeing food decay really rapidly and quickly. But when the fridge is also filled to the brim, when it's full and it's packed full of food, the air doesn't circulate. So that doesn't keep – it's this like – weird balance of keeping food fresh, but also kind of like uh, pulling the life out of it too. So if, if it's packed full, the air is not flowing properly and that can speed up the decay of, of food in your fridge. So yeah. not overfilling it is probably the best. Yeah. And it also keeps food, food waste at bay. Having less in your fridge is, um, is a good place to start. If you have the, for me, I have a below the counter, fridge i don't have a full large fridge at the moment here in the uk a lot of homes have just small kind of below the counter fridges um with a very very tiny freezer which drives me mad um <laughs> it drives you bonkers <laughs> oh my goodness because i use the freezer so often and the freezer is a great place of storing food so i don't <laughs> i have to be very very smart with uh how i shop uh, and how I store food because I'm heading to the store maybe two to three times a week um, because I go through food so quickly because of the recipes I'm making or who I'm feeding and trying to you know get the most out of uh, my my ingredients. Does your wife also uh, cook or are you the uh, you the cook of the household? Uh, I let I I let her cook. I let her cook sometimes when she really really wants to. But no, I'm I'm definitely the cook of the house. Um, she's more of a sous chef, um, and a food critic. So she's, you know, I, I, I think she's better at, you know, do, doing the sous chef operations, um, and, and critiquing my food because it just makes me a better chef, uh, makes me a better cook and helps people, uh, you know, uh, try my food as well. And so they, they, she's a recipient. She, she receives well, uh, by giving me good criticism. Where did you meet your wife? Uh, where did I meet my wife? We, we always say we, we met each other at the Whole Foods um, dry bulk section. Um, but we, <laughs> we didn't. We, we didn't. We, we, um, I came to the UK back in 2018 because I noticed a large portion of my audience on social media were based in the UK. Um, and so I thought, 
I'm going to head to the UK. I'm going to host a couple of supper clubs um, and I'll just go there. And so I ended up doing that and noticed, um, oh, this girl's vegan and she has a podcast that's all about food. And I slid into her DMs and I said, hey, um, love to go on your podcast. I'm here from you know New York visiting, would love to come on your show. And she let she she didn't respond to my my uh, DM right away. She let it she let it wait, mm-hmm. and then we we met up and it was it was love at first sight. I was purely business, um, Rip. It was purely business at first, and then I met her in, in real life and was I was blown away. <laughs> what is her name? Her name is Venetia. Venetia. Yeah. Wow. Venetia. Um, is she British? Yeah, she is, and it sounds like a real Italian name, Venetia Lamana. Um, but yeah, she is British. She, she's, um, yeah, she's British. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. All right. Yeah. I'm going to get back to the, the, the fridge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife always buys tomatoes on a vine and they're like, they're, they're beautiful. And they sit there on the uh, counter, usually for a good week. And occasionally we'll take one off and use it, you know, on a sandwich and then it, they start to go bad. And I'm always like, ah. Oh. And I read, I've always been on the impression that you should not put tomatoes in the refrigerator. But, mm. but you, I think, say it's okay after a certain period of time. Is that correct? Yeah. The, so the fridge can help extend the shelf life of certain foods. Um, with tomatoes too, I think I say in the book, I believe I should know this, flipping the tomatoes over you do say that on their on their stems is a good another great way of extending extending the shelf life and the life uh expectancy of these of these uh of these tomatoes um but yeah when they start getting kind of ripe and the skin starts to wither a little bit you can pop them in the in the fridge and they could um you just extend the shelf life a little bit further and longer because it keeps them cool um so yeah you could you could try that but i like to get to them right away yeah um and try to get them get them in a sauce rip come no, on man get them in a, i know i know i know i know well one of your one of your earlier posts you actually talk about making your own tomato sauce and not not buying uh you know not buying them in a store you you did your research i'm really impressed you're you're you've dug somewhere really deep and and saw this information yeah i um at the my local farmer's market uh, my wife and I moved to the country uh, almost two years ago. So we go to a local farmer's market and on the weekend, um, it was the end of the tomato season. It was just the end of September, I believe. And I remember going to the the guy who has the tomatoes and saying, um, sorry, they say tomatoes. Tomato. I said to the tomato farmer, um, so do you have any spare tomatoes? Uh, <laughs> and he, he's like, yeah, this is the actual last batch. And it was the end of the day. And I said, how much do you have there? And I think it was around 25 kilos or 20 kilos of, uh, of tomatoes. And they're all cherry tomatoes too. It wasn't big tomatoes. They were all small little. So I brought home this big crate of uh, cherry tomatoes. Pounds, everybody. That's over 50 pounds. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I ended up making, it was a great idea at the, at the time. And, it, and I still think it is. It, um, I, I think, so this is what happened with the cherry tomatoes. Um, I brought them home, gave them a wash and rinse, and then I started making tomato sauce. And I had went to my in-laws and got one of those big, large 
uh, pots to make tomato sauce. I felt like a real Italian grandmother. You know, I was tapping into my Italian roots, going in there. I was playing, you know, Italian music. I got Frank Sinatra playing in the background. I, you know, I was I was going for it, and I ended up drawing all this tomato sauce and gave them away as Christmas gifts to everyone. And everyone thought Rip. Everyone was so confused. I mean, the the Brits were like. Well, why are we getting tomato sauce for Christmas? I was like, I, and then I told them the story about it, and they thought, okay, that's that's cool, I guess. Um, but I don't think I don't know if tomato sauce is going to be repeating itself um, <laughs> for another Christmas gift. But I was giving away, you know, two kilos of tomato sauce to everyone, and everyone said it was delicious and it was lovely. Um, but they were just kind of like, what are we going to do with two kilos of tomato sauce now? <laughs> Have a lot of pasta. <laughs> a lot of pasta. All right. What? A, so I got home two days ago after reading your book, and my eyes were riveted on this corner where we keep our potatoes and our onions, and we stored Ooh. them together. And I was Ooh. like, Max would say that's blasphemy. So why do I not want to store my potatoes with my onions? I don't know the scientific reason. Gases are releasing all the time from our ingredients. There's chemical reactions are happening. When we store certain ingredients with other ingredients, things happen. It ripens quicker. Um, By putting your uh, onions and potatoes together, it's just going to speed up the process. Things are going to sprout really quickly. So, Potatoes are meant to be – potatoes should be kept uh, in a cool, dry, uh, well-ventilated cupboard. I like to keep them below the countertop, away from any kind of electrical uh, source, so like the oven or refrigerator where heat can be giving off um, you know, heat. So, And I cover them, so keep them dark. They want to – you almost want to simulate the same experience of where the potatoes came from. Potatoes come from – the ground where it's cold, covered in darkness. Same thing. That's what you want to do. Um, if your potatoes begin to sprout, that's called the eye of the potato. And basically what the potato is trying to do is grow a whole new potato, yeah. um, which is really cool and fascinating. But that sprout can be removed. If the potato starts to turn green, I advise you to probably uh, cut the green part off the potato or just compost the potato. Um, put it in your Put it in the ground. Just yeah. dig a hole. <laughs> 12 inches deep throw the potato in there and maybe you'll you'll start to grow some potatoes very sh- very shortly um and onions onions need to be stored separately too um and so they shouldn't be they shouldn't be with other ingredients as well mm-hmm. do you like onions to be in a dark place as well or is that okay I th- yeah the onion the onions should be uh, i like i go through onions quite um quite fast quite rapidly because it's a great base to a lot of dishes so um, you can keep them stored in a cool, dry, well-ventilated cupboard or a space, but I keep them out right above uh, next to my stove, um, uh, and, and I and go through them really quickly. Last night, I was making a salad, and I had an orange bell pepper, and I cut off mm-hmm. the, 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 the top, and I immediately heard your voice in my head. Oh, great. And I was thinking, wow, I am, I am wasting way too much of that bell pepper is there a trick or a best way to work doing it work into that bell pepper (laughs) oh yeah just with your thumbs like this like your two thumbs together just push down the green stem into the pepper 
and it should pop. And then at that point, you can pull out the the stem itself, and the seeds will be attached, and you can pull that out. And then I just rip rip open the uh, the bell pepper from there, and then I can clean out, and um, you can regrow a whole new pepper from those seeds, mm. or you can just put them in the compost. Um, funny story about this is actually um, when I went home to visit my parents back in Connecticut, um, they, where they live doesn't have a food waste collection program. So the city, the council wasn't coming to pick up food waste. So I was digging holes in my parents' garden and just composting food waste in their garden. And a few weeks later, maybe a month later, I got a call from my sister who said, um, you have peppers and squash that are regrowing in mom and dad's garden right now. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, all you need to do is press the the lid of the the pepper down and then you're just using, then you get the whole pepper. So you have that whole top bit that most people are cutting off. Um, and all you need to don't eat the green top top. I, I believe it's poisonous. Okay. So um, yeah. So <laughs> okay. make sure you're just eating everything, but the green stem, green, green top stem will make it into the compost. Yeah. What about asparagus? Do you have any tricks for asparagus? I didn't see it in your book. And my wife always buys asparagus and it always seems to go bad in a couple mm. of days. And we put it in the fridge. We just put it sideways. Any tricks mm. there? If you know? Yeah. Two, two, two things. Um, what I, well, I don't know if it's two things. What I like to do with my asparagus as soon as I bring it home is I can, I know I'm going to use some of it right away. Cooking a whole bunch of asparagus all at once seems um, not the best use of using that ingredient, unless I'm making a whole big dinner and I have friends and family over and, you know, then we can go through it. But I like to divide my ingredients. So first I'll store the, the, the first asparagus, um, in the fridge just as it is, or I can keep them placed in water as well. So I can keep the life, uh, keep them kind of like, use them as like a, like a, a flower or some yeah like a plant that's just sitting in water. Um, the other the other asparagus I like to do is just chop it up right away and then store it in the freezer. And then I can whip that into a stir fry um, or a stew or a curry um, or a pasta dish later on. So it's frozen, popped away, it's safe. But the woody stem bit down at the bottom, the trick I was taught was um, if you bend the asparagus, I don't know if you do this, but if you bend the aster- asparagus, I get as close as I can to the, the, the base of the asparagus, and I try to bend very gently. And as I bend, there should be a snap. And that's where the the space between like the woody hard bit and the softer, more, um, yeah, just the softer bit of the asparagus. But sometimes I try to go back and see actually is is that other bit that i just pulled off the woody bit is it let's see how far i can go down (laughs) i try to use use as much as i can yeah yeah being the the waste uh waste conscientious person you are no i love i love asparagus on a grill i just love putting on a grill and throwing in a salad cutting it up so good let's move to leafy greens because we're a big leafy green house, you know, whether it's kale, Swiss chard, you know, collard greens. And I hate it when I go into that bin and I see a whole head of whatever and it's gone bad. It started to, you know, wilt or turn a different color. 
What do you think with leafy greens? You're going to change everything I'm going to say. You're going to change. And this is, this is what you're going to do from now on. So I'll always, I'll live in your head rent free okay. uh, mo- mo- moving forward. Rip, what you do is when you bring home a bag of leafy greens or loose greens from the, from the store, wash them right away, store half of them in a container with a paper towel so it can absorb and take some of that mo- um, the moisture from the, uh, from the leaves. You want to give them a pat dry. You want to dry them first, but then place them in a container with a paper towel. You take a note and then uh, c- close the lid, seal it tightly, put it away. You're going to use those leafy greens in the next few days. I would, I would be shocked if you didn't use them within the next one to two days. The other half, you're going to steam, you're going to blanch them, you're going to cook them in you're going to steam them. You're going to cook them. And then you're going to remove, squeeze out the moisture from them, wrap them up tightly in a, in a, in a reusable uh, plastic bag and place them in the freezer. And you could, do those in, you could do them in bunches. So if you place them in the plastic bag, the reusable bag, separate them in the plastic bag like so, and then wrap them up. And then you can use them in a stir fry, in a stew, in a curry, in a, in a, and even in a smoothie. So I use that because I can come back to it. Oh, you know what? On a hot on a hot day, like the weather is changing, it's going to get hotter and hotter. I want to. I want something. I want. I want greens in my my smoothie this morning. Or uh, I remember I had some leafy greens in the freezer. I'm going to whip that up into a stir fry right now. So um, finding a way to extend the shelf life of certain ingredients and using that freezer is the best place. Yeah, and that blanching and freezing method you just described works well for broccoli and cauliflower as well oh yeah a whole bunch of ingredients onions you can store ginger in the freezer bread in the freezer i think you said potatoes uh broccoli everything a lot of things can go in the freezer if this is what i this is what i've done before in the past and this is how i figured it out that oh i can use my freezer for a lot more ingredients i've gone through the uh, the freezing, the, 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 the freeze section, the frozen section at supermarkets and just looked at s- and see what frozen vegetables that they're freezing and going, oh, if they're doing that, I can do that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, we're going to talk about this one because you have it in a recipe, but you talk about using the banana peel. Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. And, and I guess well, let's save that for just a sec. Okay. <laughs> um all right let's let's if you're cool with it we're going to dive into your book here because it is remarkable it is i want you to know that uh, you know besides the recipes your photographer was like Mm. wow wow thank you yeah thank you yeah incredible I, i i this took this book took me two years start to finish every step of the process this is my second book i learned from the first one that was my the, the, the moment where I go, okay, cool. Now I know what not to do in the first one. The first one's still great. I, I, I it's, it's my uh, my firstborn, and um, you know you love them, but you know you, you you make room for the second one, and you figure out, okay, how can I how can I do this better the next time? Um, and so I just really was on it with my with my publishing team and my my agents, and making sure that this one's gonna be ten times better. The recipes are going to be foolproof. Everything's going to be well tested. I'm going to try every recipe five times before it yeah. gets tested from the recipe team to test. Everything in this book 
is I, I thank you for that comment. That means a lot to me because I made sure that everything was going to be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to start here on page 16 with carrot locks and bagel. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you what we got here with every recipe I'm going to show you. And one of the reasons, and I want you to talk about each one, but first I want to make a statement. (laughs) And this one is, I had an old Jewish friend of mine that taught me this trick with bagels because so many bagels, they tend to go, go hard after like a week, like hard as rocks. Mm. And he said, you take them, you run them underwater for 10 seconds, put them in the toaster oven for like two, three minutes. They're like brand new. Brand new. How how you like that one? <laughs> yeah, that that's a great tip. That's a great tip that you could do that with all sorts of bread. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Make, make sure make sure you make sure you do that. So talk to me about this this recipe because it looks spectacular. Oh, thank you. It was the first recipe, and it's the first recipe in the book. It's the first recipe I started testing uh, for you can cook this. This is back in early twenty or mid to late twenty twenty. Um, I just thought. I'm really craving, you know, smoked salmon and cream cheese and bagels. And I was missing this, like, I lived in New York City. You see a lot of people walking down the street with a bagel in their hand with cream cheese, and they're just munching on it as they walk to the subway station. And I just thought, and it was just a moment. Maybe I, I, I watched something. Maybe I watched a show, and I, and I just thought, oh, I miss, I miss that. And I thought, what can, how can I recreate that moment? And I like to do this with a lot of my recipes. I like to mimic and play with the ingredients, plant-based ingredients, vegetables that mimic uh, textures and tastes of something that is not plant-based. Mm-hmm. So the carrots, and, and, and my audience were telling me that they're throwing away carrots. They're throwing away the peels of carrots, which blows, you know, uh, makes me just kind of go, why are we peeling vegetables? Um, and so you can do this where you just marinate those peelings of, of a carrot. Uh, I utilize the whole entire carrot, so I'm peeling the whole thing until it's these long ribbons marinating in spices and liquid smoke and liquids and oil. And then it's just in the oven. It bakes for a little bit. It softens up. It absorbs that moisture. And it gets soft and chewy just like yeah. if you close your eyes, you can kind of, you can kind of imagine, okay, yeah, it, there's, it kind of tastes like lox. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's nothing like one of those New York city bagels that's made with that, with that, I guess it's that New York city water. They're just, yeah. Oh man. Um, okay. So this one's your beat. How do you pronounce the second word on that? Bucatini. Okay. Beat Bucatini. I have that because I love the fact that you made this brilliant beet sauce using obviously beets and beets, we make them and then the, we usually put the rest in the refrigerator and they tend to go bad and they hide <laughs> in that Tupperware container until they die. So what can you tell me about this recipe? Again, each in, I should just go back a little bit. Every yep. chapter throughout the book highlights an ingredient that people are often throwing away. And so you just so told right, me you're throwing you're, Right now we're in roots. We're in the root section. So root vegetables, carrots, potatoes, uh, parsnips, and beets, I think. Yes. Um, So people are telling me they're throwing away beets. And similar to your story, you cook them, then you put them in the fridge, and then they go off and you forget about them and they go to waste. So 
here's one simple, easy recipe that is using the whole entire beetroot, even the leaves itself too. If you have the leaves, chop them up, use them in the onion and the garlic uh, mixture that's going to be blended with the beetroot later on to make this creamy, velvety sauce. So um, it almost has like a sweetness because beetroots, when they're cooked, they have a little bit of a sweetness, like the natural sugars from the beetroot come out. But then you have this sauteed onion, garlic, and then you have this uh, golden mm. breadcrumb uh, uh, topping as well. So you have this, the creaminess from the sauce, the crunchy, golden, zesty breadcrumbs as well. And so I just think it's a it's one of my favorite dishes in the book. Um, the the book that's in the UK right now and other parts of Europe, because the book has been translated in six other languages, wow. um, uses here, I'll show you the cover for that book uses. Um, that's actually the image on the front cover. Lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. Let's, before I show this uh, photo, I want to say that I too have learned how to make the best roasted potatoes. And it's the same special method that you use now can you share with the audience what that is yes well before i go there there's a wrong way there is a wrong way of roasting potatoes and i was i I feel ashamed to say this but like i said earlier i think it's important to highlight failures and because then you can champion those those successes so uh these are the best roasted potatoes ever i think that's the title of the recipe it is um so you want to parboil your potatoes after they've been chopped up. You want to parboil them in the salted water. Yeah. And the best roasted potatoes they are. <laughs> um, and here in the UK, they know how to roast potatoes. They are fanatics about potatoes and making a good potato. Um, you want to parboil your potatoes in salted boiling water. Once they're parboiled and they're just like fork tender, just before fork tender, take them out of the water, drain them, let them dry out for just a moment, and then you're going to coat them in olive oil to go into a preheated oven. Now, you want the oil to be hot as well. So the oil's in the container in a safe dish, baking dish that's in the oven that's hot. You can add other spices and herbs in there. You can add some rosemary or thyme, salt, pepper, garlic, cloves can go in there as well because that will just absorb lovely flavors as well. And that's where you add your parboiled potatoes that have a little bit of floury consistency on the outside after they've been dried out in a, in a colander and a sieve. And then you could toss them in with the hot oil and the herbs and the spices and the aromatics. And then you could just let it roast and go in there occasionally and toss them around until they're golden, crispy brown. Like when you scrape a fork or a knife next to those crispy potatoes, it's just music to my ears. And then it's soft in the middle. Let me ask you this, Max, because we're, we're we're not huge fans of using added oil. Um, okay, are you? Can you make this without the oil? Yeah, you could probably air fry them. Uh-huh. Um, you could probably air fry them, and you could probably. I would. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if you just place them in in a baking dish, yeah. uh, and just roasted them in the oven by themselves. And yeah. you could toss them with some spices as well. I would actually toss them with uh, a little bit of cornstarch mm. um if you're if you're if you're a fan or you don't like cornstarch right. i like adding cornstarch because it just adds a, another consistency it adds a bit of uh, um that crispiness that you 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 
sometimes can't get. So adding that a little bit of that cornstarch and some spices as well. So you still have the outer coater still has a bit of flavor as well. Yeah. So yeah, I think you can do that without oil. To dovetail on- Maybe that's why you look so good and young and healthy. It's because you're not consuming so much oil. Well, <laughs> I've been staying away from- What's your ad- secrets? From added oils. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm doing it, man. I'm living plants strong. <laughs> I'm exercising. I've got a young family. It's, it's all those things. But thank you, Max. Um, so to dovetail on the best roasted potatoes- with your smashed potatoes, because yeah, you also start those the same way and then mm-hmm. just smash them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really great. I, I I love this recipe. It's one of my fan favorites. So there's recipes throughout the book, and later in the back of the book, there's a section. There's an index of occasional kind of recipes that I feel are like, if you want to start cooking from this book, here are some recipes to start cooking from the book. And this is a fan favorite because. I was getting messages from people on social media saying, where's this recipe? And because I'm posting, I've posted over 400 recipes on social media in the last few years. People just don't have time to keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Where's that recipe? There's no really easy index to find that on social media. So roasted potatoes, crispy smashed potatoes were one of my fan favorites. People love this recipe. It's had over a few million views. And so I thought I'm going to add this to the book and Great way of using it, parboil. Then once they're parboiled and they're soft, you can just smash them down with a potato smasher or the an empty you know glass jar, smash them. I make this little concoction of oil, sorry, um, <laughs> tomato paste, um, some lime, uh, lemon zest, some lemon juice, salt, pepper, and that becomes this like lovely paste. And I just spread them on top of the potatoes. Mm. That goes into the oven, gets nice and crispy, the texture of the the savoriness from the tomato puree and the lemon zest kind of just gives it this really dense and intense flavor. It's lovely. And then the pickled onions, which you know you're waiting, you can make pickled onions in less than 20 minutes as the potatoes are roasting, and then a spicy lemon mayo dressing on top with some herbs. Really great crowd pleasing dish on the table in a few minutes and um, your, you know, your family, your loved ones and your friends will love this. And for people that are fortunate enough to be watching on YouTube, you get to see these photos. Um, all right, let's go into the grain section. You have a one pot pantry pasta. What really caught my eye on this one is you say there's no draining required. You just throw everything together and it's kind of like lickety split. So yeah. oh, I've never heard of a one pot pasta with no draining required yeah (laughs) testing testing a lot on this recipe because we had to make sure that there wasn't at too much liquid sitting in the pot uh, in in the pan so then you're just ending up with a basically a soup um and we weren't we weren't working with that so um and this uh, this this is really kind of just all in one pan kind of store cupboard ingredients that you have lying around a lot of my my audience was telling me that they were short on time. They don't want, they want less cleaning up. They're college students. So they want something that is like budget friendly and just speedy on a table in a few minutes. And so this is, this is one of those kind of recipes and hopefully it inspires people to think, Oh, I can do more here. I can play around with uh, one pot dishes and especially this one pot pantry pasta. Yeah. And what's also really neat is at the very, very bottom you have all the cooking times and how long it will stay in the fridge and tips 
to you know keep it up to three months and uh, mm. it's really really neat i i've i noticed that most cookbooks don't share no. these types of icons or tell you okay this is how long you can keep food in the fridge for this is how long if you want to freeze it this is how long it'll stay in the freezer for this is how long it takes to prep and this is how long it takes to cook um is it freezer friendly those sort of things so um yeah, it, it's been a helpful guide. It helps a lot of people, and um, people have responded really well to this. Yeah, you're doing a lot of things right. Um, so here, this – and let me tell you what else I really love because I did this in all my, my cookbooks. But you have great introductory stories about each recipe. And to me, that's so important, right? So – and you talk about – like this nut roast cake with all the trimmings, <laughs> right? And is that carrots on top of that? Those are carrots. Yes. I mean, come on, Max. Like I saw that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I it's need beautiful. to try. It's, it's gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you flip to the other page, you, um, you'll see, I, I think that's even a more, a more spac spectacular this uh, one? image as well. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> I mean, that is, that's my Christmas that's my Christmas dish right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here in the here in the UK, we have roasts. There's this this thing. I almost want to call it a phenomenon, where every Sunday people will march to the pub and have a roast, and they'll have a few pints, and they'll watch some sort of football. Not American football. I'm talking soccer to us. Um, and they'll have a roast. They'll drink a few pints of beers. They'll watch their football. Um, but for me, you know, I like it. I like a roast. It's this is a savory dish. It's a you know spectacular dish. It has that lovely kind of tart to tan, um, kind of caramelized carrots on top. Which you do, you place the carrots on the bottom, and then you add your filling on top of that. And then when it's baked, then you flip it over, and then you have this beautiful presentation. Mm -hmm. um, but the story behind that is that every Christmas, every holiday that I spend here in the UK with my family, I have to end up making more dishes of whatever I make because everyone eats my food. And my, my wife and I are the only plant-based eaters in the family and everyone else is eating our food. So I want to, I want to have seconds. I want to have leftovers. I want to enjoy them the next couple of days, next weeks. So I Wait, end up having to make more. You mean to tell me your father, your sister, and your mother are not on board yet? Uh, in the in the U.S., the, my you're you're ready to almost strangle them if <laughs> <laughs> no they 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 have reduced their meat consumption. Um, there was a part in my life where I was like, "Mom, Dad, come on!" Um, but I think you catch more bees with honey, and so I've just learned to set back. But my dad's doing; he's completely. I think at this point, I think he I would say he's probably vegetarian. He's reduced his meat consumption to basically zero, which is great. My mom's a, another one. She's it's hard for her to try to ch change the way that she thinks, but she, you know, she watches my recipes. She she gets inspiration, so hopefully she feels inspired to to make these changes. But I've learned over the years to not push people. I think teaching people and showing them how easy it is, and people will come come around to it. No, I think that that's right on the spot, uh, Max. And I love the way you're not preachy. But you just say, hey, you know what? Let's all just eat more plants. Let's eat more plants. That's something. There, yeah. There's, um, there's, there's a beginning section in my cookbook that says everyone's welcome to the table. I, there's no discrimination, no judgment. I've been there before where I've had people say, hey, man, why aren't you eating 
plants? Why can't you be vegan? Those sort of things. I've been there and I've said those things too. And it doesn't make me feel good. And I think if you're somebody who's eating plants and striving on that plant-based diet and loving it and living life like you are and like myself, I think we need to be examples by just showing that and up in every single day of our lives. We don't need to force feed it down people's throats. We just need to live our most authentic selves and people will see that and they'll come around to it eventually. Fingers crossed. Maybe they see it, maybe they don't, but little by little we'll see, we'll start to see changes in the world. Bravo. Sourdough French toast with glazed peaches. And what caught me about this one is as long as I can remember, I have loved toasting bread and then putting like sliced strawberries or blueberries or slicing a banana up and putting it. I love fruit on bread, not jam, mm. but I love just the whole fruit. And I saw this and you put a little bit of maple syrup on top of it and everything. And I just know how much my kids will adore this recipe and myself. It's, it's just a simple dish. It's really just, it's just that, it's just that easy grilling, you know, some, some uh, stone fruit, some peaches making a French toast, frying that on, on the griddle, on the pan, and then adding a little bit of extra, you know, maple syrup or some icing sugar on top. Like, there's nothing more simple than that. And I think that the inspiration I got from that was people, my audience, and, and most of my audience, ha there's, there's a bit of like college students who are looking for budget-friendly meals. And I just thought, here's a really simple dish. You don't need that many ingredients. And it's on the plate ready to sit down and devour and eat in just a few minutes. So, yeah, uh, we're going into nightshades now, which is, yes. which is a um, kind of funky territory for me, but this first recipe that I want to ask you about, it's kind of in the same vein as the, um, let me look for a second here as the one pot pantry pasta. This is your one pan lasagna. <laughs> and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Lasagna yep. in one pan, like I, I, or one I pot. Think, I mean, give me a break. Yeah. I know. Hey, I'm, I'm Italian. So, you know, if people are Italian, they, they can come after me. I could just, I'll send, I'll, I'll, I'll send my family after them. No, I, um, I think I make an introduction about how, you know, Italians almost like turn away. If you're, if you're too Italian, turn away now. Um, again, this is another kind of exploration through creativity, through trying to find ways, try to cut corners, try to make things taste better yeah. or just have fun with the ingredients. Now you could break up pasta sheets like lasagna sheets, whack them in a pan with some veg stock or some water, some, I use, I think, uh, oat milk in this recipe. So it gets very creamy and then the lentils for added protein and yeah, it's a, it's another fan favorite dish in one pan. And I actually cooked this on my Instagram live, uh, just a few days ago. So, um, I enjoy that very much. And I always end up having leftovers cause there's just two of us in, in the household where I live. So we ended up having leftovers and, uh, put that in a pan, added some more vegetables, uh, some mushrooms, some more lentils, some other various bits and bobs, and uh, ended up putting that in the oven and baking it. So we had a pasta bake. <laughs> bits and bobs. I've never heard that. I know. I'm becoming more British in my ways, Rip. <laughs> but, I mean, you can do that in 25 to 35 minutes, a little, little bit of prep. But, I mean, uh, I'm going to make that very, very soon. Um, Amazing. Okay. 
what there's one vegetable that I really cannot stand. And it's actually made it to the front of your <laughs> cookbook. And that is the eggplant. And so that's why I, I have this one because Oh yeah. If, will, will I like this eggplant dish? This you, is your, do you, yes. Do you like do you like peanut butter? Or almond butter? I could drown in peanut butter. Yeah, you could drown me in peanut butter too. And I, for, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll live. I'll live in peanut butter even after it. I'll just <laughs> yeah. float to peanut butter heaven. Um, this is a, a dish that has been inspiration from a friend of mine who who does a West African stew, and she, in her recipe she uses sweet potatoes. And I thought I'm gonna just switch this out and use some aubergine. Aub sorry, eggplant. Okay. Uh, I'm going to use some eggplant and it is such a simple, lovely dish. And it's one of those like warming. So I would probably recommend this in, in the fall or winter. Uh, if you want something that's warm and grounding, uh, and it's just delicious, but yeah, the, are, is it for, is it for you? The texture of totally uh, it's eggplant. Like a yeah. sponge that has just, uh, so there's ways of cooking aubergine, sorry, eggplant that is, you could do it wrong, and there's wrong and, and right ways of cooking eggplant. I see a lot of people salting their eggplant. They cut it up, and they salt it. You don't need to do that because, the end one, you're wasting the salt. Um, you don't need to do that. What you can do to skip all of that is soak your aubergine. Sorry, eggplant. I keep saying aubergine. That's okay. So stay, I'm very, stay with it. I like it. Soak your aubergine in water. If you soak it in water, and this is what I've learned and have asked um, Asian chefs, Japanese chefs, what they're doing. And they said that they're soaking the eggplant and aubergine in water. You soak it in the water for a few minutes. This softens up the, the fibers uh, of the eggplant itself. And then drain it, and then you could squeeze the excess water that's left in there. So now it becomes very meaty. So mm -hmm. now you've now you've you've gotten rid of the water that's inside the vegetable itself. And all you're left with is just this flesh and it's becomes very meaty and textured that I could handle. So try that. And that's going to just change. It's going to change the way you see and taste and cook eggplants from now on. I like it. Um, all right. I'm, I'm moving on to uh, gourds and legumes right now. And one of the, we always make lentils at my household. Always. We do, you know, red lentil, sloppy joes. Um, and I saw this and I immediately was like, okay, I love lentils and I love bread. So why don't I do what Max does and just tear up some bread, throw it in my lentils. And what do you call it? <laughs> Papa Pomodoro. There you go. Yeah. It's an old, it's a classic Italian dish. It's, Kind of, I think the history of of the dish is when you know uh, it's almost like a a poor man's pasta dish, um, yeah. and Italians would just use up leftover bread that they have. There's always bread in the house, and they whack it in with some tomato sauce, and that becomes like this pasta. Um, but it's this dish is just another added level of flavor and textures with the, the added lentils that make give more protein to this dish. Um, but it's, it's a great way of using up um, bread as well, because bread is one of the most wasted foods around the world. Yeah. I, um, I, I that's a, again, another dish that I am going to dive into. All right. I'm moving on now into the leafy greens and cruciferous. 
And just so everybody knows, I mean, Max, you probably have, I don't know, 20 to 25 recipes within each section. I mean, this is robust. But Thank this you. is a cauliflower ragu. And the reason I picked this one is because I am fascinated with cauliflower and how versatile mm -hmm. it is, but I've never ever thought of a cauliflower ragu. So what exactly is this? So the cauliflower, again, another hero ingredient in this book that is often thrown away. And one of the most wasted bits, parts of the, the cauliflower itself are the leaves in the core. Most people are throwing away the leaves in the core and those are totally edible. They can you can eat them. You can roast them. You can fry them. You can bake them. You can have them as a chip. They're edible. And so I thought, I'm going to put everything all in one. Like, I haven't seen one kind of cauliflower dish that uses the whole thing in one dish. Most dishes that are using up a cauliflower, kind of separating them and using them as two different things. So I thought, I'm going to use the cauliflower leaf. This is all going to go together cut them up, chop it up, or grate it, or put it in the food processor so it kind of gets the same kind of texture, like this mince, yeah. mince meat, and cook this in. I believe it says 10 tablespoons of uh, tomato puree or tomato paste, and it's this very luxurious, uh, flavorful Almost dish. meaty? Yeah. Meaty. It's very meaty. It has, like, it's very luxurious because it's intense with flavors. Uh, and having that cauliflower just cooking down slowly over time, uh, very robust, very yeah. lovely. Uh, one of my favorite dishes too. <clears throat> cool. Uh, one of our favorite dishes are Sundays. We always, I always make pancakes for the family every Sunday. Yeah. I would love to do your super green pancakes. Yes. Using, utilizing some of our leftover cruciferous greens. Do it. This is a great, this is great. Um, Earth Day is around the corner. So, you know, the green, green for the pancakes make the earth and then the blue for the, uh, the ocean uh, with the blueberries. Good. So yeah, it's a, it's a, again, another, one of the first dishes I started playing around with. L leafy greens can be added to anything. If you could just blend them down, you yeah. can and that, blend up the spinach or leafy green. You can add that. Um, paste afterwards. Don't add any water, just the paste and add that to you. If you make fresh pasta from scratch, you can add that paste to the pasta dough to make it from scratch. You can add them to any type of kind of baking dish, uh, muffins, cakes, pancakes, breads. I mean, using leafy greens in various ways. And so this is just one simple way of using up uh, leafy greens. Yeah. And we all, could use more leafy greens in our yeah thriving in our bodies. Oh, absolutely. Uh, hey, I want you to know you are doing phenomenal, phenomenal, and we're almost there. Okay, so just hang in, hang in there with me. I'm I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Good. I love it. I love it. So, one of my favorite dishes when I go out to a Thai restaurant is pad thai, and right, yeah. and especially like a, a a vegan Thai restaurant, and you have a mushroom pad thai that just caught my eye Oof. because I think we all are starting to understand the benefits of mushrooms and how yes. just incredible they are. So a mushroom pad thai, I never even would have thought of it. Yeah. I just think, <laughs> I just think mushrooms are just a versatile ingredient. 
they're so versatile. They can be used in a plethora of ways. I mean, it depends on which mushrooms you're talking about, which ones you want to use. If you're using king oyster mushrooms, I mean, and this one, you know, you can use any kind of a mushroom you want. If you were to do the king oyster mushroom, I would absolutely shred the mushroom with the fork, break it apart, add some spices to it, fry it in the pan so it gets all nice and meaty and textured, almost like shredded pork. Um, So, yeah, mushrooms are another ingredient that people are often thrown away. And I've been there before where I have mushrooms just sitting in, in the, uh, in the fridge and they just collect water and moisture and then they go soft and soggy and then they start to smell. And I just think, <laughs> damn it, why did I just spend all that money on these mushrooms? So pad thai is one of my favorite dishes. If I see a pad thai on a di- on a menu and I really like it, it's that pad thai and, 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 and I think it's drunken noodles is another oh. one of my favorite dishes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. But don't let Derek Sarnow know that you're going to be throwing out any mushrooms. <laughs> hey, I, I let I let him do all the mushroom work. He's he's phenomenal with uh, what he can do with mushrooms. Yeah. Did you get a chance um, to meet Derek at all? I did. I did. I did meet Derek. Um, I did meet him once or twice. I don't see him that often anymore. But I did. I did meet him once uh, at a at a vegan at a vegan party in London in a, like a an abandoned warehouse. Um, hanging out with him. I was like, are you cooking? He's like, no, I'm just here enjoying, enjoying the music, the vibes and, and the food. So yeah. I was like, okay. Derek, Derek yeah. and I worked together uh, at Whole Foods on the healthy eating team for about four years. Okay, great. Nice. And his, and his brother, Chad. Um, all right, let's talk. So my kids, they love onion rings. You've got this recipe for extra crunchy onion rings and I would love to make this for those guys and have them just like do backflips. <laughs> and this, this is a, a fan favorite with over 2 million views. I know. <laughs> Jeez. I, I, it's, it performed really well. And I thought a lot of people, and you know what? A lot of people were making these onion rings as soon as I posted it. I was, after I posted it, within 45 minutes, people were already tagging me saying, I've made your onion rings. And I just thought, Okay, this is just a clear sign to maybe put this in the book so more people can make this. Um, we all have onions that are probably just sitting in a cupboard somewhere or in a bowl or in our fridge that are just sitting, not doing anything. And, you know, sometimes you head to the supermarket, you might not see loose ingredients. And then you end up buying a bag of onions, four or five onions, and you're just thinking, what am I going to do with – I just need one. So – Here's a really fun, fun way of uh, using up onions. And I love making onion rings because it's just fun and it could be great for a party. I know we just, you know, the Super Bowl was a couple months ago. Any kind of like festivity or party that's around, having an onion ring on the table, it's fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, All right. I'm going into your non-dairy section right now. And I'm wondering if you can read my mind. So I'm going someplace decadent. Super, super decadent. My kids are going to just go crazy with this. Okay. And this may possibly be one of the most crazy photos in the book. Ah, uh, okay. 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 You're, you're talking about the, the salted chocolate brownies. You know it. So there it is, or there's the page. And then if I turn the page, look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Very, very. Oh. <laughs> go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I love brownies, and there's. 
I've tried some brownie recipes in the past and they just, some of them don't really work. And I really worked hard on making this recipe the best it could possibly be and that anyone can do it. And as I was going through the different level of stages of making, making brownies, um, I thought, how do I make this one stand out? <laughs> Literally the thought process, how do I make this stand out? And there you, you see the, the, the evidence, the proof of that image. And I thought, peanut butter with chocolate go really well what else can i add to this maybe some tahini so i've just add just you know you drizzle on this chocolate peanut butter and tahini and then you just drag a fork or a spoon or a skewer through it um and then you get this wonderful beautiful image kind of psychedelic without the psychedelics in the mush in the um in the in the brownies yeah yeah wow um how hard is it to make that Follow the recipe, okay. follow the recipe and you will listen. Okay. I, the same, right. same, I'm, I'm the same. I'm like, Oh, brownies. They can be totally cooked through all the way. And then you just end up having a cake and that's not really a brownie. Brownie is something that's like where it's soft. It's chewy. It's like the middle's like still like mm. wobbly and then it's <laughs> decadent and it's just kind of melts in your mouth. All of that follow the recipe because i've tested this recipe or i would say around 10 or 12 times there was a lot of brownies in my life at one point all right max if there's one thing that i don't like and we're going into the fruit section now if there's one thing i don't like it's wasting apples and seeing these apples we get i don't know 12 at a time and they start to go bag they, they get brown spots and i immediately was like okay we need to start making this this is your sticky apple toffee pudding Mm. Have you ever had Have you ever had a uh, um, a toffee pu- um, a sticky toffee pudding? I'm sure that I have. <laughs> yeah, it's a big it's a big thing here in the UK. A lot of people are into sticky toffee pudding. It's a lovely baked. I think it could be also steamed uh, cake pudding. Pudding is a thing they say here in the in the in the in the uk it's just a dessert really i think Mm -hmm. um you just call it dessert and they say no it's a pudding um (laughs) and i just thought apples can i add some apples to this i can let's make this i'm gonna break i mean i'm sure people in the uk are probably thinking gosh what is this guy just coming over here from the states think he can just play around with our sticky toffee pudding and adding apples to it so uh i just thought this is this is a great way of just adding it's like a baked cake with apples and a lovely caramel sauce Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it looks it looks really good um (laughs) i'm going into leftovers now max so hang in with me we got two left so um, we're coming back to the bananas that we talked about yes an hour ago okay (laughs) so this is your blt using banana peels talk to yes talk i know I'm, i'm sure people are thinking why 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 banana peels banana bananas are one of the most wasted foods around the world um where i am in the uk bananas will take anywhere from 30 to 40 days to be shipped which is a you know low carbon footprint but still it takes 30 days for bananas to be shipped here and then we bring them home we place them on our countertop we turn our backs they go spotty they go brown we let them go to waste but maybe we are smart enough where we use the the banana itself. Maybe we freeze them. Maybe we make a banana cake. We've all been there before or put it into a smoothie. But the peel itself is one of the ingredients that 
often is thrown away. And I'm not here to say, hey, every time you get bananas, eat your peel. This is just one way of showing people that you can use the food you have, being creative, just looking at the ingredients you have in your in your fridge, in your cupboard, and just going, can I do something with this? And that's all I'm trying to get people excited about is using the food that they already have. So banana peel is one of those ingredients. In most South Southern Eastern uh Southeast Asian countries, they use banana peels in their cuisine. Mm. Why aren't we using banana peels in our cuisine? What's, what's, what's the problem? Um, so it's just another way of thinking outside the box. And it's a great way of using a banana peels. The one thing I do, I think I mentioned this in the, in the recipe, is that I, I do implore people to use organic uh, banana peels when possible um, because bananas are often heavily pesticide and filled yeah. with... Um, all sorts of different sprays. Yeah. I had a woman on the podcast um, and she told me that her father grew up in India, very, very poor and would sneak onto other people's properties and steal bananas. And he would eat the banana, all of it, like the peel and all. And so I had her on again and to kind of show off to her, I had a banana, an American banana. And I, you know, just tore into it and ate it. And she's like, Oh, it's a different type of banana. You don't want to do, you want to be careful doing that. But, uh, it was, it was an intense, um, experience trying to chew a normal American banana peel raw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was. <laughs> One of the things, Max, I, I've, I've never been a coffee drinker, hmm. but I, I love the smell of coffee. And when I used to do it, uh, coffee ice cream. Right. And, mm. um, and so I saw your coffee grind pancakes and I was like, that really is intriguing to me to use mm. coffee grinds somehow into a pancake. What can you tell me about that? Yeah. It's just another, at the beginning stages of testing and developing recipes for this book, just thinking how I need to think outside the box. I need to find a way of tapping into people's conscious you know subconscious minds hopefully you know that's happened with you now <laughs> yeah and just say you know if we're making a cup of coffee you know we probably end up throwing away some of the coffee that's been made for us but also the grounds as well that is still we can still consume that we don't want to ex- uh consume a large amount of it but some of that can be consumed and can be eaten so i sprinkled a little bit of that into my pancake batter and it intensifies the flavor. It just lifts the flavor of, of the pancake batter, of the pancakes themselves, and tasted like a little bit of coffee. It has like a coffee essence. Um, and at the time, I wasn't drinking, drinking coffee as much as I do now. And I drink uh, about a cup of coffee a day. All right. Black, just black coffee. You know what? You made it through. You made it through. Those are, that's all I had for you there. Now I got about three or four rapid fire questions for you. Right. And then fire away. We'll close it out. <laughs> so do you have a hero in your life? Do I have a hero in my life? Um, I, I, you know what? I don't, I, I'm going to be, I'm completely honest. I, at this point in stage in my life, I don't think I have a hero, but I feel I'm going to be honest with you. I feel I'm going to go, we're going to go deep. There's a, there's a moment, I think I'm in a period of my life where I'm, I'm in this like in between stage and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is, 
what's my life looking like, you know, years from now, whilst also trying to stay present in the moment and just be like, this is the only moment I have. But I don't, I, I don't have a hero. I don't look up to anyone. Um, I'm just trying to be my better self every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, maybe you, maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe I'm looking up to you uh, next. Uh, I'm going to look, I'm going to do a deep dive into you rip afterwards. All right, let's do it. Uh, so I hear you, you, you said you're child free. Um, I don't, I assume you have no pets, but you have 33 plants. I don't see any of your plants. Are they being well taken care of? This is, this is the spare bedroom. This is, uh, n- nothing, nothing, nothing happens in here. Actually, I exercise in here and, um, but, uh, yeah, we do take care of them. And we just started, uh, last week, uh, because the weather's changing and it's becoming, it's spring now. Uh, we've added more healthy soil to, and compost to the, our, our potted plants because they were get looking a bit weak and like tired. So we've added, uh, we've replaced, I, I'm a, I'm a big green thumb kind of guy. And so we've taken the, the potted plants out, removed some of the soil underneath, added some new soil. And yeah, they're thriving now. They're all happy. They're singing right now. You can't hear them, but they're singing. So I don't have to call plant protection agency. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. Can you tell me about your tattoos? Um, I'm very intrigued by them. Obviously, you know, they're, yeah. yeah. So what, what is it? What is it exactly? I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, um, I think when you get, for me, it was, I got one and I, I was like, wow, that, that's a, an intense feeling. I often put myself through, whether it's sports or I don't know. I don't know what it is. I try, I, I've done some intense things in my life. I, like I said earlier in the show, I just say yes to a lot of things. And so I, when I was 18, my parents said to me, what do you want for your birthday? And jokingly, I said, I'm going to get a tattoo. And my parents said, okay. And I think my parents probably were just like, he'll learn, he'll learn the hard way. Let him have it. So I ended up getting a tattoo at 18 on my birthday. Um, and then slowly from there, I just added more and more. What was that? Tattoos. Where was your first one? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to show you. It's on, it's on my, it's on my, it's on my shoulder. And yeah. it's one of those, one of those pieces of art where you go, uh, what was I thinking? Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's on my shoulder. It's actually your face. And I don't know what I was thinking when I did that. No, I, well, they don't have, they don't have a, they don't, there's, there's not a story to them, but there, it's very, you know, I try to keep a theme where it's all kind of like lines yeah and mandalas or some sort of pattern that kind of flows into the next one into the next one so um yeah. i like them and i now i almost feel quite lopsided well does that so mean f- do you feel like you, and you i feel like i gotta fill up the other side but maybe i think someone says no it looks cool with just the one the one that you have here on your wrist so yeah yeah well it does um for people that are always trying to figure out what is the best pots pans to get do you have a certain brand that you recommend actually i think this brand that i'm going to tell you is actually based in austin texas where you are and it's called maiden maiden made in uh-huh. and they're based in austin texas i believe and those are the pot though they're it's every they, kind they, of like the one with the blue steel 
they have the they blue- do have a blue they have a blue st- blue carbon steel pan this is not a sponsored i don't think this is a sponsored <laughs> podcast or <laughs> conversation not- we're having i'm not i'm not <laughs> no longer sponsored by them so i could still talk it freely it's one of the pots and pans that i often use and you see them in all my recipe videos um i just enjoy the pans you know there's sometimes i use a pan and it's it, it scrapes it's it sticks the food sticks to it it's just these are really great pans they've been tested with you know chefs all around the world so yeah it's uh i would look in i think investing money into great pots and pans is is where it's at because it just serves serves you better in the long run yeah my this is my last question for you and that is what do you see as the new the new male the new masculinity hmm. what do you think that is because I, you you had a write up in one of your Instagram posts, and I was like, man, he is spot on. And if you can't remember it, I'm happy to read it. But I love please it. do. Yeah, yeah. Um, the new male masculinity, and this isn't all of it; it's kind of abbreviated. But stepping into fear, and not, uh, and to not hold back tears, powered by plants. And then you went on and on and on, and I didn't write it all down, but those were just mm. some of them. But I just love love the way, um, you know, you you write some really wonderful, beautiful stuff on your posts. Oh, thank you again. Yeah, I our world is in turmoil. There's a lot of hate going around in the world. I think there's a lot of people who are afraid, who are feeling the pressure from external sources i've always been somebody to kind of march to the only kind of like the only beat to my drum i've you know i marched to the beat of my drum mm. i listen to what i what what's going on in in, in my heart and in, in my mind and that takes time that takes patience that takes um willingness to listen to to hear what's what's happening on the inside and i think um I've been bullied, I've been teased, I've been picked on since I was as a child, as a kid, called names, um, always, uh, I wasn't the one who kind of stood out uh, in, in, the, in the cool crowd. Um, and so I've kind of just taken what I, what, what was given to me, I'm going to take this with me, I'm going to learn new things, I'm going to move forward. And I'm going to apply those things in my life. And maybe there's, you know, everyone is in those cliches. It sounds everyone's special. Everyone has something to share with the world. And I'm going to share, I'm going to share mine and I'm going to do it unapologetically. And I'm just going to be my true authentic self. And I think being a male in this world is, um, we need to, we need to, (laughs) it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. There's, like I said, external resources, external things going on in the world that tell us to live a certain way to this is how to be a man. And no, I, th- I think being a man is showing those tears, you know, uh, t- saying, saying, saying you're wrong when you know you're wrong. And, uh, you know, you need to, you need to be, you need to be honest with yourself. Um, this, I think this allows other people around you to also be honest and, and free and, uh, allows, allows that true authentic self to come through. Mm. Yeah. 
<clears throat> beautifully said, Max. Um, I love where you say to be kind whenever and wherever to all beings. Love yourself first. Live passionately. Be you. Um, Max, this has been an absolute thrill. Like I said in the very, very beginning, I'm fascinated by you. Everything that you're bringing uh, to this space, to the uh, to the to the planet, and to get people to stop wasting their food. <laughs> you can do this, people. You can do it. Let Max be your guide. Max, I really, really cannot wait to meet you one day. And I applaud you and all the fantastic work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Rip. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. All the best. Give me a little plan. Long fist bump. Boom. Boop. Awesome. Max's new book, You Can Cook This, is now available. And we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes to it. Of course, you can also follow Max on social media, like the millions of others who do so for more recipes and inspiration. Remember, you can cook this and you can keep it plant strong. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.